This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello? Hello? <clears throat> Podcast Network Asia. Network Asia. Welcome to She Talks Peace, a podcast that highlights the role of women peacebuilders around the world in bringing lasting peace and security to their communities. Eavesdrop into their conversations and get to know their stories. From the Philippines to Malaysia, from Indonesia to Palestine, from Myanmar to the United States, their dreams and their hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by Amina Rasul Bernardo, President of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, and Dina Zaman, a Malaysian journalist and co-founder of Iman Research. This is She Talks Peace. Salam from the Philippines. I am Amina Rasul of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, greeting you on She Talks Peace. And my co-host, Hi. This is Dina Zaman from Iman Research Malaysia, and I'm very, very pleased and happy to be here with Amina Rasul of PCID on our first episode of She Talks Peace. How are you, Dina? Have you been vaccinated yet? I finally have been. I was vaccinated last week. I had only two side effects, great sleepiness and great hunger. So <laughs> otherwise, I'm pretty good. I don't know whether you know that Malaysia is headed into another extension of our lockdown. So yes. we're holding on again. <laughs> I've been reading about that, Dina, and I keep yeah. uh, worrying about you and our other colleagues in the peace building network. And I hope they're safe because they're still doing their work, doing the rounds. Yeah. But so far, your government is managing. Well, this is a podcast. I think in their heads they think they're managing. <laughs> it's been very diplomatic. I think a lot of Malaysians are very angry because, you know, all these COVID cases are concentrated at construction, you know, camps, uh, manufacturing areas and all. So they say if there are ways of just, you know, working on that and allowing us to have some form of normalcy, then we wouldn't be where we are now. I mean, without wanting to, you know, make this so negative, we've had a high number of cases, increasing number of cases of suicides in Malaysia. People are not being able to take the strain of being cooked up and the fact that they're losing their incomes. Yeah, that so, yeah. is true. Yeah. Especially you, we have similar situation, uh, although the uh, vaccination program has been rolling already. I've had two vaccines, but uh, we have such sad tidings, Dina. Former yeah. President uh, Simeon Benigno Aquino yeah. III died uh, last uh, June 24. And it's, it's really awful because COVID has prevented most of us from attending the wake to say goodbye. Uh. And people sometimes forget 
that President Aquino, I mean, people called him Pinoy for President Noynoy, people forget that he did a lot to bring peace to the South. You know, Dina, last March, yeah. um, we commemorated the seventh anniversary of the signing of the Comprehensive Agreement for the Bangsamoro. And that was really the precursor, that was the foundation for the law that was passed under President Duterte. But without the full support of Pinoy, I don't think we would have a Bangsamoro Autonomous Region now. So his support for the Southern Philippines and for peace process is incredible. I mean, he is going to be sorely, sorely missed. Yeah. I saw many tributes on social media by my other Filipino friends who saying that he was I mean, he was a great loss to the nation. So uh, yeah, yeah I, I would like to express my condolences for that. And yes, COVID does make things worse somehow, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right about one thing. Where does peace building, you know, fold up? Amidst a pandemic. Let me tell you, you know very well, you and I have talked about this, but one of the yeah. reasons where we have started this podcast, uh -huh. She Talks right. Peace, is yeah. because most of us are isolated. And at this point in time, more than ever, we need to connect, we need to share our experiences, we need to inspire each other, we need to support each other. Because yeah. You know, violent extremism, terrorists don't stop just because no, COVID is, is rampaging, right? I mean, look at Myanmar. Look at what's happened. I mean, we've had a couple of bombings in Muslim Mindanao, even with, uh, with COVID. So we need women to be connected, especially since, and you know this very well, Dina, with your research at Iman, Women, their participation in peace processes and negotiations actually spell more success for the peace process. And this is a verified thing. There have been uh, surveys and studies conducted about this. And you know why that is, right? It's because women are natural, natural peacemakers, right, Dina? I agree. So we'll hold on to that and we'll get back to that, yeah? Yes. So that's the reason why we yeah. have this podcast called She Talks Peace. And right. the other reason being, although we know that women's participation in negotiations in the peace process are positive, they contribute a lot, still uh -huh. we see women largely absent from informal and formal yeah. peace processes. And, and that's, that's really horrible. You know, one of the things I, I mean, you know, you are also involved with the Southeast Asian Women Peace Builders, yeah? Yes. And that I've been speaking to, you know, about what it needs to be a woman peace build, addressing conflicts and all. One or two have actually said that they actually suffer from imposter syndrome. And that, you know, they say, look, we are in the field, we, we believe we're contributing something, but at the same time, we feel not good enough. Do you think that's probably why we don't have as many women in this role as a peace builder and a peacemaker? Yes and no, Dina. 
Um, I have seen at the community level, especially at the grassroots level, I have seen that women are successful at uh, peace building and resolving conflicts because they have a very nuanced, very quiet, very consultative way of yeah. getting people to talk about the problems. But that's at the grassroots level. Yeah. At the national level is where we hit the snag. And yeah. that's where your uh, colleagues' observations are correct. Because it seems to me that many governments keep women away from the peace table and from conflict resolution programs. And mm -hmm. for the life of me, Dina, I cannot understand why that is, especially since our governments have supported UN Security Resolution 1325, which calls for the protection and yeah. promotion and engagement of women in the peace processes. Why are governments like that, Dina? Is your government any better? You know, I mean, uh, <laughs> in the last two, three years, we've had two different governments, you know. Yeah. I would have to say that with the Najib administration, right, mm -hmm. much as a lot of people have said that Barisan National wasn't very friendly, but there was a lot of women's participation. Then with a new government, there was women's participation, but it was just too short a time. 18 months. Then mm -hmm. we've got this new one who seems to be more intent on staying in power rather than looking what's happening. But I think also at least here in Malaysia, I won't say that I know what's happening in Southeast Asia. Sometimes I also think it's not just the government supporting or not supporting women, right? It could also be our patriarchal societies where, you know, I mean, we're women. Mm. You've got to be a wife, you've got to be a mother, you've got to be a grandmother. There are a lot of rules. And I'll say that if you don't have that support or backup, there is no way you can do everything. But I could be wrong. You are absolutely right on that count. That is why it is so very important for us to be able to help in connecting women. Yeah. Because as yeah. it turns out, women supporting women who are engaged yeah. in peace building and peace process is one of the success factors for yeah. sustaining our sisters who are working on peace building. Do you remember Lucy, who was yes. a part of our network friend and she's based in Gaza? When the bombing and the conflagration happened in Gaza, we have been so concerned about Lucy because she was out of touch. But luckily, our network is Global Women's Alliance for Security Leadership. We talk every Thursday to connect. And we therefore were able to get information about how Lucy is holding up, whether she needs help. And somehow, our yeah. best wishes and prayers and hopes found its way to Lucy. And I hope yeah. that she keeps safe and she keeps strong. Thank you so much, Amina, for revealing about that. I don't know whether you remember Dr. Kauka. She's from your men, the mm. psychologist. Um, mm. We have lost touch with her. However, I thank God for, you know, all the social media platforms. She's very active on LinkedIn. So oh. I think because maybe she's changed numbers, 
and she's now in Canada. So at least now you see that she's posting things about her life in Canada, her worries about her family in Yemen. So I thought, oh, phew, you know, because she was in Malaysia for a bit. She was in transition between, I'm not too sure which country, then she's now in Canada. But you're right, we need to be in touch. And one of the things that we're trying to do if we get our act together, right? When we discuss with the CWP, you know, the Southeast Asian Women Peace Builders, one of the things that we actually spoke about was that we need to have quarterly, if we can, sessions where women peace builders can actually have a platform to talk about their emotional well-being. Because I think that the work we do is very intense and we are, all we know is to work, 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 but we do not know how to de-stress or manage our you know, mental health and all that. So yes, the fact is we need to be in touch with each other. We need to hold each other up. And I think now with COVID, I think it's become even more and more important to be there for each other. So Thanks, yeah. Thanks for that reminder, Dina, which actually brings us now into the next segment, the next discussion on our podcast, She Talks Peace. Right. I think and I feel, you know, there are a lot of challenges that we women in CBE or in peace building face. You are very familiar with Ibu Ruby, Ibu Mira and all, and you know me and Altaf, right? Yes. And, you know, you also know, we all know our sisters in Islam, various, various women's group around Southeast Asia. I think one of the things that we face is talking to people and also persuading them to actually believe in the work that we do. I think probably because maybe people are not familiar, you know, they're conditioned to think this way, behave this way. And when we come in and say, look, there's another way of doing things. It's a little bit hard. That's one. Two, of course, typical patriarchy, you know, oh, women shouldn't be doing this. Women shouldn't be saying that. Um, I know that Ruby actually said that, you know, it took, it was tough for her and Aman Indonesia. Yes. But they worked, I think, about a year or two to talk to the people on the ground about what they did. And finally, they got through. So these are challenges, I guess, you know, when you work with people on the ground. Sometimes I think that, well, there are challenges talking to people in policy, in government. I think what I personally think that it's harder when you talk to the woman on the street who's probably not familiar with the kind of what we do. But I don't want to sound patronizing. (laughs) We come from very different backgrounds and we want to help and they have different (laughs) view on life. Yes. But yeah, challenges are there. Another one which I mm. think is very, very important, and I know you feel that too, is that to do the work that we do, Amina, we need money and it has to be sustainable. And it's tiring to do fundraising. Absolutely right. Yeah. Absolutely right. That's why I guess this is a good point in our podcast to bring yeah. in our global campaign. The Women's Alliance for Security Leadership has ah. this global campaign. Yeah. And uh, She Talks Peace, I hope, will be able to support that global campaign because it calls for supporting women peace builders and peace builders in general. And th- we have an acronym. The acronym is S-O-A-R, SOAR. And our logo is this beautiful bird of flight, like a phoenix. And why SOAR? S is to support women peace builders and their safety. 
protection for women like uh, Lucy in Gaza, Nancy yeah. in Palestine, our sisters in Nigeria and Yemen. And then right. O is for obligations that okay. our governments who have supported all of these UN declarations for women's participation, our governments who support ASEAN statements on women, peace, and security should, in actuality, put their money where their mouth is and commit yeah. to implement the obligations. And then right. A, of course, is appreciation. Women uh, peace builders, uh, women and peace builders in general, need to know that they are appreciated and supported uh, by their community. And with regards to your observation about the lack of funding, the most important factor, I guess, are resources, resources, resources. So we've got this global campaign, and it yeah. seems to be uh, picking up. It's gotten some okay. traction. Yep, some of the bilaterals have already bought into it and are supporting it. I understand that Canada has already right. started funding mechanism for ah, peace builders, yeah. especially women who are in peace building. So the challenges seem to, although they feel overwhelming, but yeah. initiatives like ours, like the Women's Alliance Global Campaign, is helping little by little to bolster the role of women in peace building, for women to actually fulfill their very human rights of being able yeah. to participate. But there are so many other challenges, Dina. Yeah. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juvederm.com. Like in the Philippines, for instance, and I'm sure this is also true for Indonesia and Malaysia, mm -hmm. most of the frontliners, Dina, are women. Yeah. The nurses, the people who are serving at the community level. But when you look 
at the support that's being given by governments, for instance, on COVID, it seems to me that the support for women is uncommonly low. And there's got to be some balancing effort there. Plus the fact that in areas of conflict, the ones that continue to be more affected are women. I mean, the cases of violence against women, Dina, it's really scary, especially sexual violence against yes. women in, in the refugee camps, in their yes. communities. Quite horrid. But I'm glad at least Malaysia is not affected by armed conflict. You have your own set of challenges to face, yeah. mostly in the realm of politics, right? Women and yeah. politics. If you don't mind me just touching on that point, right, on sexual violence and all, I do think that the reason perhaps why issues like this, right, are not getting the spotlight that they deserve is because news like this tends to either appear in reports written by the UN, the United Nations, or among us, CSOs, when we do our reports, right? But they're not mm-hmm. uh, streamed at all. If they become mainstream, it's part of Women's Day, you know? And mm-hmm. then you have like, and people tend to forget. I think that we have to have a concerted effort in actually making sure this, you know, all that's happening to us women, right? That what we do, the gender-based violence that we face, it has to be mainstream in the media, in the consciousness of the public. But it's going to take a huge effort, you know? I mean, you're talking about, Every month, this has to appear in the press. Every month, this has to be in the public. Yeah. So, that, yeah. so I mean, that's what I think, you know. It's true about Malaysia that we have a lot of political drama, but it doesn't mean that we don't also experience, you know, violence, right? Minority communities, women, youth also face violence. They may not necessarily be gender-based or sexual violence, right? But there's a lot of cyberbullying. There's a lot of threats, you know. And if you look at our media, there's also a lot of imprisonment and deaths in custody. So our kind of violence, perhaps you can say like it's political violence, political trauma. But it's something which we have, not that we have to face, I think we're trying to deal with it. As I said earlier, we've had a few happenings in Malaysia and it's very hard for us Malaysians to process all this, especially under pandemic. And when you start thinking, yes, yes, I know this person was killed in prison, but how am I going to feed my children? So it's been tough, you know. I'm not saying that what's happening there is any less important than what's happening in Malaysia. It's just that we are all facing our own traumas. Different challenges, but challenges nonetheless. And yet, Malaysia is one of the supporters of UNSCR 1325 and also signatory to the ASEAN Declaration that calls on governments to support the participation of uh, women in peace and security. But regardless of whether or not they're signatories to these statements and resolutions, practicality dictates that you involve the key players who can actually make a positive impact. And study upon study show that when women are involved in negotiations, in conflict resolution programs, in peace processes, what results, the peace that results or the agreements that result are more sustainable. So what is it that prevents governments and many of our leaders from accepting that fact? I don't get it, Dina. You are 
a journalist, you're a writer, you've done a lot of research. So tell me why that is. What are the blinders that prevent many of our governments from recognizing the value, the importance of women in peace building and in, in politics and what have you? I think in the case of my government right now, the Vision government, right? That is not the topmost priority. What they want is just stay in power. I know it sounds horrible, but that is the truth. We have a few women, you know, female ministers, right? But mm -hmm. they are basically the props, you know. They don't really do much. Once in a while, you hear things that they are doing. And that is such a shame because there are many, many women who are very, very capable. I do notice one thing with Malaysian women, right, who do peace building work or at least development work. There are many here in Malaysia, that's, you know, us and our friends in the UN, Malaysia. But we also have a lot more who are working out of the country. I don't know them. I only have one friend, Shazira Zawawi. But I assume that they're probably abroad because over there, there is room and space to excel in the work that you do. Uh, ah. Whereas in Malaysia, is I'll just tell you that in Malaysia, when you talk about you know the work we do, they'll say, but we already have, for example, Mercy Malaysia. They do humanitarian work. They can't see the difference between women peace builders and humanitarian work. So they're mm. like, you need another one. So the space can be quite small. And then like in the UN, like UNICEF, UNDP, they're very active in Malaysia, but the work is also very, very different. They look at development of poverty, you know. Uh -huh. So I think we are a little bit too compartmentalized. And for women who do this kind of work, there's one Sabia Ahmad who's now with UN somewhere in Africa. They said there is not enough space or room in Malaysia to do the work that we want to do. We've got to go abroad, and that's what they've done. Yeah. Uh, we need to have actually more visibility for yeah. all of these women who have been able to impact yes. positively the areas of conflict. For instance, in the Philippines, the peace process, the negotiations with the Moro Islamic Liberation Front, the one that was uh, so heavily supported by uh, the late President Aquino, the peace advisor at the time was female, uh, Teresita Quintos Deles. Uh, you know Ging, right? Yeah. And uh, Ging, as peace advisor, had appointed a woman to head the government negotiating panel, Miriam uh, Coronel Ferrer. And it was under Miriam's chairmanship that the comprehensive agreement on the Bagsamoro was actually signed. And I tell you, Dina, one of the success factors, I believe, was the fact that both uh, Ging Deles and right. Miriam Ie, Coronel Ferrer, were very inclusive, as women tend to be. And there would be regular consultations with civil society. Civil society engagements was very important for the two of them, so that the civil society not only were able to provide inputs to the government panels, but they were right. also able to bring these inputs and talk to the Moro Islamic Liberation Front. So the role played by women and civil society cannot be quantified, honestly. Right. And, yeah. and this because you have two women who understand that for peace to be sustainable, you need everybody to be participant. Yeah. 
agree. ASEAN seems to have really recognized the value that we right. women and uh, women peace builders bring to the table. Because mm-hmm. in uh, 2018, ASEAN approved and launched the ASEAN Women for Peace Registry or OPER. And it's still early days, but this uh, offer, this registry, started off by having each government appoint, nominate three women to be part of the registry. And the women come from all sectors, government, uh, academia, some are with the military. But in the case of the Philippines, all three of us are with civil society and that former peace advisor, Ging Dallas, and right. then there's Gloria Mercado Jumamil, who's a former executive director of the right. office of the presidential advisor on the peace process. So both these women have had hands-on experience in the negotiations and the peace process. So ASEAN is on the right track, right. but I think we need to kind of uh, lobby a little bit and yeah. Have ASEAN and our governments actually be a little more supportive of OPER, which is housed within the ASEAN Institute for Peace and Reconciliation in Jakarta. Because of COVID, the only thing we can do is actually go virtual and have our discussions. But it's there. An initiative, an ASEAN initiative is there. And this could be a very good launching pad, don't you think, for more participation? I I think that would be fantastic. You know, I also do think, right, in the case of Malaysia, granted we've not had any conflicts, you know, in the recent years, right? Mm -hmm. We have a lot of female leaders in the corporate world and all, you know. Right. I think what we do is make peace building as a viable career path for women. A lot of people tend to think that, oh, if you work for an NGO, you're probably going to die a bankrupt because there's no money. <laughs> and yeah, you can't exactly live like, you know, high society and all. But it is a viable and fruitful path for young people, women and, bo- and men. If you just say, look, this may be a bit of a different path for you, but here you learn how to negotiate. Here you're building societies. Here you're part of a movement that's going to help people. And mm. I think that's one thing maybe even ASEAN can actually look at that, like not see us as just, you know, mobile resources, all right, get the women, talk to the community, but also see that we are a proper, well, not organization, unit, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that sometimes with organizations like ASEAN and all, they tend to respond to governments or corporate bodies a lot more rather than CSOs and all. So I agree with lobbying, but maybe we'll need to have something a little bit more concrete, you know, like a proper organization. I don't know. This is what's at the top of my head right now. Well, I think that a very good lobby network in ASEAN would be the Southeast Asia Women Peace Builders. So you should tell us a little bit more about how CWP can make it happen. Well, in a nutshell, is this. Last year, we were all on um, ICANN's many, many emails. Mm. And then Ruth said, you know, it's fantastic, but there's nothing that's very Southeast Asian-y. Right. What about our voices? So, to be honest, 
turns out Ruby had this mad, this really crazy idea. Let's do a regional summit. And we were like, when? Like now? Huh? So honestly, <laughs> we But we did it. We called our friends to talk and all that. And, you know, it's slow because everyone's working full time, you know. We've right. just hired a small coordinator, but still we have to monitor the coordinator. It's not been easy. It's a bit too slow because everyone's doing it on a voluntary basis. Right. Basically, what we want to do is this. We want to push forward the voices of women peace builders in Southeast Asia who are not necessarily academics or activists. They could be mothers, you mm-hmm. know, sisters who all want peace in the countries, not just about conflict. We're looking at gender-based violence. We're looking at patriarchy, which may actually erode a society. We're looking at food security. We're looking at climate change, you know, and how do we do this? So right now, we're still building out the website. We're still sorting out some publications to put up on the website. Mm-hmm. We hope that this will become a platform for other NGOs, such as yourself, to come in and say, all right, let's work together and get some funding together and let's use this platform to push an agenda or a program, you know. I think also another thing is that one reason why we set this up is I will only see you, Amina, at a conference, just how I only see Mira or Ruby. That's right. We can't be too dependent on conferences, you know, and especially now with COVID, God knows when we'll meet each other. But if we have a product here that we can work together on, like the CWP, then yes, let's use that. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. But by the way, Dina, I, I meant to ask you, you have many women-led corporations in Malaysia, right? Yes. Are you not able to reach out to them to, you know, uh, for, for support? I think right now, to be honest, one, we're all running around. So we're a bit flat out, okay? Uh, if I'm going to lobby, I, I really want to do this properly and talk to them. Everything is virtual now. Mm-hmm. I have started talking to a friend. She does a lot of uh, work on training on whistleblowing and sexual harassment. But I think I'll start reaching out in the next half of this year to, you know, women's, uh, corporate women's organizations to talk about leadership. Right. Yeah. So I will reach out and we'll see where that goes, you know. Yeah, because uh, remember this global corporations um there's yeah. one in particular the name is on the tip of my tongue right. they right. manufacture i think cosmetics and very early on ah. they made it part of their corporate social responsibility to support right. women's programs and okay. interestingly enough in the philippines yeah. there is an organization that was started by our former foreign affairs secretary, a woman, uh, Delia oh. Albert. Oh, she's incredible, Dina. We should get her on the show sometime. Oh, yeah. But her group, women uh, CEOs of corporations, they meet weekly and 
they also pool some resources to support women-led initiatives and projects that support women. Ah, so right. there, we have got to find women okay. uh, like them and uh, get them to support women peace builders and women's initiatives. What do you think? Can we do that, Dina? I think that would be good. Yes, yes, that would be good. Yeah. Amina, can you just tell me about some of the major challenges you had to face when you first began PCID? And how do you come overcome them? Well, this is the thing, Dina. My mother, when she raised us, never, ever told us there was not that we couldn't do something because we were girls. In fact, the interesting thing about uh, my mother, who later on became senator, the first Muslim woman elected by the whole country as a senator. Right. The interesting thing is she made us believe we could do anything. So right. in my family of six, three girls and three boys, right. the girls are the ones who are in debate or ran for student council. And the boys play music uh -huh. and are very, are very chill. Uh. And this kind of upbringing has served me very well so right. that when I started work, for instance, I never, maybe it's a blind spot, blinders, but I never saw the discrimination against women right. because I just bulldozed my way through. What I right. did see, Dina, was discrimination against Muslims. That I faced from... Right from college all the way up. But okay. then again, I wouldn't let it face me and I would just continue to do my work. And right. if people became particularly aggressive in their discrimination, then I would talk to them and move on. But that's the reason why I got my friends to put together the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy because I felt that Muslims, especially Muslim minorities in non-Muslim majority countries, need to amplify their voices. We need to voice our thoughts because, Dina, we are a silenced minority. And uh -huh. if we don't do this, if we don't come together and speak out and tell them what we think about education, about lack of resources, about armed conflict, then right. they're just bulldozed all over us. So right. the challenges have been there and I've experienced them most of my adult life, but interestingly enough, not as a woman, but as a Muslim. What about you, Dina? What interesting challenges have you faced as a, as a woman in a man's world? I think, okay, prior to me coming, Entering the media, I was in the corporate world in PR. So you, I didn't really face that. It was more like whether you delivered your work or not. I think this, my greatest challenge would be that after 10, 15 years working as a journalist and columnist, right? When all of us decided, okay, why don't we pull in our money and create demand? Yeah. We yeah. were idealistic, yes. Uh, but we also saw the gaps that was not being covered by the media and so forth. I think our challenge was to get people to actually believe in us, you know, yeah. whether they were men or women. 
as I said briefly earlier, in Malaysia, we tend to box things. So if you're a journalist, you couldn't be doing anything else. And for me personally, they said, well, you're not an activist. I said, yes, I never was, never have been, but I was a volunteer. It doesn't mean that, you know, whatever we do, whatever contribution we have, it's not bad. So it was tough, you know. Um, and when we came in, that was when it was at the height of where there were many CSOs that were already established, like 20, mm-hmm. 30 years already. And they were curious to know about this new player. And we said, look, we are not a CSO proper. Where mm-hmm. research. This is what they said to us. You can't be a proper research group when you don't have a minister backing you. And we were yeah. saying, why must you always have a political person in an organization to be? Mm-hmm. It was tough, you know. Uh, I mean, uh, the first two years, actually, I have to be honest, I think meeting you and everyone else, right, even though we were, you know, quite intimidated, shy, it was easier than being in Malaysia where everyone's like, why are you entering our space? And you're like, we just want to do research. <laughs> and uh, because of the work we do, it was already so niche. And the challenge was this. People said there is no such thing as B- uh, VE in Malaysia. Uh, there is no such thing as terrorism. That was at the height mm. of ISIS, you know. Yeah. This, all that, they said, no, we only have political extremism. We only have economic extremism. None of this happening in Malaysia. So mm-hmm. I think it was more like having to meet perception. And yeah. I'm telling you, Mina, it's only now, six years into the so-called business, it's like finally we are like getting calls from people, you know, in Malaysia, <laughs> saying, mm-hmm. what do you think we can work together? And we're like, I was just telling Alta this morning, wow, it wasn't like this before. <laughs> but it's tough. And also another thing, when I said that because we didn't have any politician behind us, whew, trying to go to government forums, or even if you are at the forums, Nobody will want to talk to you because you didn't, you know, you didn't have a mafia behind you or something, right? <laughs> it was hard going, honestly. There were times when you said, why are we doing what we're doing? But here we are, you know, here we are. Hey, Dina, have you ever thought of going into politics yourself no. and being a member of parliament? No. I why have not? Peace and all that. No, thank you. I had an angiogram earlier this year. I like my heart. <laughs> I don't want <laughs> stress. There's much to be said for a woman in parliament, especially a woman with the advocacies that you support and mm. with the capacities that you have. Yeah. You know, my mom was in the Senate for nine years. She was the first Muslim woman elected senator, and that's no small feat because our senators are elected by the whole country. And the Muslim population of the Philippines is no more than 10%. Can you just imagine how tough that was? Mm. But watching her work in the Senate uh, made me appreciate the importance of a woman who is in the legislative body, especially a woman whose mindset is one of consultation and resolution. And right. it was it was really interesting to watch her at work. And when yeah. I asked her one time about her patience in dealing with her male colleagues, at the time there were only two women out of 24 senators. Right. And she told me, always remember a tablespoon of honey catches yeah. more flies than a yeah. gallon of vinegar. Okay. So... <laughs> So there are many ways of getting 
the job done and that's that's one way but but really interesting dina because she was able to get the support of her male colleagues she was able to pass yeah. great legislation one of them being the women in development and nation building act which right. made it necessary for government to provide x percent of the budget for programs in the government or out of government that would capacitate women that provide training for women and part of that law also opened up our philippine military academy oh. to girls oh Hi. my god dina when we went up to the philippine military academy which up in the mountains of the north in baguio when we went there to yeah. have a meeting with the cadets all of them were against opening up pma to women and they had arguments from the sublime to the ridiculous and one of the ridiculous ones was say, saying but the bathrooms here are only for men and my mom said we will provide you the budget to construct bathrooms for women if that's the problem but you know what it's worked out well and okay. some of the graduating classes of the philippine military academy have had women who were at the top echelons of the graduating class so Great. so far so far so good so you should run for parliament no, Nina. No, and no, no. <laughs> i can do good without having to enter politics no thank you <laughs> but it is something i mean i quite happy to see the young girls now who are mm. very active or at least politically aware uh i'm on facebook just to you know my facebook is nonsensical but when i see these young girls talking you know fighting against social mores saying he's wrong i say hey i think malaysia is going to be quite good um these women are just these young girls are not going to stop talking they're very loud in a sense mm. and i hope they don't you know so i'm quite happy and and i think that despite the problems that we have we are seeing more and more women becoming active in politics yeah granted they all represent you know political parties but you know compared to before at least now you see more just that i wish our current government their ministers would be could just function a little bit more than what they are right now. <laughs> well yeah okay. we can hope we can yeah. pray and yes. we can lobby well dina it's always fun talking to you especially oh, now no. that we have this podcast yes. but i'm afraid our time is running yes. short and we have to say our goodbyes but before doing that i'm really glad that we were able to spend this half hour to an hour talking about why women should be engaged in conflict resolution in peace yeah. processes in politics in in business because women bring with them many attributes and studies have shown that when women are engaged the results are always more sustainable that's why you have yeah. the UNSCR 1325 and the ASEAN statement of support for women uh, peace and security and we should really continue to do more however yes. we can 
to yes. push the envelope forward for women's participation. What do you think, Dina? I think that's a fantastic idea. We've got our lives to prepare for this. So, yes. But I'm going to be meeting you next week. Until yeah. next week, Dina, this yeah. is Amina Rasul from the Philippines on yep. She Talks Peace. Right. Thank you for having me. I'll see you next week. This is She Talks Peace, Dina Zaman from Malaysia. Goodbye. Salam. She Talks Peace is brought to you in partnership with Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. For more information, check out their website at podcastnetwork.asia and podmetrics.co. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. <laughs>